Thank you for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. This week, we continue a series called Blessed. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcast on Anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric. All right, so we've been asking ourselves the question, uh, how do you know if you are blessed or not? How do you know if you're blessed, right? So most of us would answer the question, how do we know if we're blessed by some kind of external influence, right? Something is going well with me on the inside. I'm getting along with my wife this month, right? So on the outside, I'm what? I am blessed because we're now getting along with each other, right? My kids are listening to me this week, right, moms? And now I'm living a blessed life. My bank account is a little, you know, has a little more uh, revenue in it than I thought. I got a promotion, right? Something, something externally happens that then causes some kind of effect on the inside. But what we've been learning about being blessed is it's all kingdom. In other words, it is what Jesus Christ has done for us that has impacted us from the inside out, right? In other words, that I am so content, I am so satisfied, I am so well on the inside that it really doesn't matter what is really going on on the outside. Really doesn't matter. Now, if there's good things happening on the outside, that's just a cherry on top in a followers of Jesus Christ's life, right? Because the problem in many of our lives, meaning Christians, those who are Christ followers, is that so many times we find our lives in Christ, if you would, on this religious roller coaster. I have a good day, I have a bad day. I have a good day, I have a bad day. A good day, bad day. And I personally believe, if you look at the text, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily uh, say that that's how we should live our lives. He doesn't promise us that everything is going to go well. But your, but your soul can be well. You follow me? In other words, how you are and who you are on the inside can be well. It could be well with your soul on the inside because of the kingdom work that Christ has done and is doing in your life day in and day out. You follow me? So our blessedness is not hinged upon being happy on the outside, but our blessedness is hinged upon the finished work of Jesus Christ that allows us to live a victorious life from the inside, what? Out. Make sense? And as, as Jesus is communicating the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, remember, he was looking amongst the people as he started his public ministry, and he saw how people were ill, people were sick, people were destitute, people were hurting. He looked, he saw compassion. Then he found himself on the mountaintop communicating the message, and he starts out by simply saying, blessed are. In other words, today you, must, you may have pains, you may have issues, you may have problems of life, but you could still be blessed are. You follow me? You still can be blessed even in the midst of uh, sickness, even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of whatever kind of pains of life, you still can be what? Blessed. And that's what we're talking about here. So if you could open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as you turn in there, We've been navigating through four questions. The first question is this we covered. We covered this. How am I? To know that you're blessed, we've given you four questions. And the first one we answered 
the last couple of weeks is, how am I? In other words, not how am I on the outside, but how am I on the inside? And we touched upon three things as it relates to how am I. How am I, in other words, am I okay being powerless? In other words, that he has all power, I have no power. He has all authority, I have no authority. Am I okay with God being in charge? And that's a wrestle that every believer has on the inside is who's really in charge today? Who's in charge of my life? And then the second part of, of understanding, you know, how am I on the inside? We talked about self-loss. In other words, uh, the scripture says, blessed are those who what? Mourn. In other words, there are times that you have to mourn the loss of self. Who you were, who you thought you were going to be, right? You know, uh, who, who you were in your past successes, who you were in your past failures. Listen, where you were born, wh how you were born, were you born with knowledge of your parents or not, right? All those unfortunate facts of your life and even successful facts of your life, you have to come to a place in your life that there has to be a time in your life that you mourn the loss of because you're not that person any longer in Christ. But then you have to also be willing to to learn the law or mourn the loss of friends and family members. Here's the deal. Because there's people in your life that honestly, all they're doing is hindering you from becoming all that Christ has called you to be. And there's some friends, the scriptures and family members, the scripture says that you and I must love less than Jesus. He says, if you do not hate your mother, your father, sister, brother, more than me, you cannot, my, cannot be, be my disciple. Now, is he really saying hate? But what he's really saying is this, you must love less. You must love less your husband, love less your wife, love less your mother, love less your father, love less your close friend, love less your childhood friend, more than you do what? Love Jesus. You see, because the beautiful, the beautiful narrative of that in the scriptures is this, is as you love them less or you put Christ first, he teaches you how to love your wife, love your husband, love your parents, love your children. You follow me? He doesn't mean don't love them, don't respect them, but he will teach a woman how to respect her husband as unto the Lord. He will teach young men and women how to respect their parents as unto the Lord. You follow me? But the responsibility is to reprioritize who do you love the most. So we navigated through that as far as how am I, you know, grieving on the inside of that? Because that's, listen, that's some tension, right? That's tension, in the, it's real tension for a Christian day in and day out of their lives. The final thing that we had to ask ourselves when we examined how am I was how am I with accepting God's plans? His ways are not my ways. Matter of fact, they're a lot better than mine's. But am I willing to concede to the plans of God? Right? So we covered that question. Then last week we covered the question, how am I pleasing God? In other words, in summary, am I, do I really want to be righteous? You see, a lot of Christians say they want to be righteous, but we really, 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 really don't want to be righteous because we want to do what we want to do. We just, we just want to do what we want to do. But the challenge is, Am I pleasing? God says, I really do, God, want to be righteous. In other words, what the word righteous means that we learned was this, is being as one should be. 
In other words, I need nothing on the outside to tell me how I should be because I am as I should be no matter what, right? In other words, God, I, I need this promotion on my job, so then I'm going to start acting like I should ought to act on the job, right? Well, I got passed over this promotion, so now I'm going to start acting like I should act to get the next promotion. No, the way a Christian should act is simply this. You show up on your job day one, and you should be as you ought to be day one. You follow me? In other words, while well, my wife should be respecting me, but why is she ain't respecting me? You know, God commands her to respect me. Well, are you as you ought to be before your wife respects you? You follow me? In other words, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his very life for her, which is deserving of respect? I am who I ought to be. I want to be righteous, which simply says, am I pleasing God? Yes, if I'm doing these things, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm what? I am pleasing God. Make sense? So the third question we're going to answer today is this. How am I with others? <laughs> now, this is tough because the others that I'm challenging with today is this. Is the others outside of those people that is easy to do good for? In other words, you know as a man, you should be doing the right thing for your wife, your children, Right? I mean, as a mother, you know you're going to do right for your children, right? And, you know, and if you marry, you're going to do right for your husband and et cetera. It's just what you do for those people you love. But what about those people you don't love? What about your enemies? What about those people who hurt you, defamed you? What about your parent who's no longer alive? What about your parent who you haven't talked to in years? What about that cousin, that uncle, that sister, that brother, that family division? That, that how am I with others? How am I with the boss who treats me unfairly? Easy to be good with a boss who's giving you promotions, right? Giving you pay increases, you know, putting your, putting your plaque on the wall and saying, hey, you did a great job, great month. You're the, you're the you know, the, the teacher of the year, teacher of the month, or whatever it may be, right? The employee of the month. Very easy when someone is promoting you and giving you all the that of boys and that of girls, but what if they don't? You see, these are the others that we have to really ask ourselves today. How am I with the others, listen, who are still created in the image of a holy God? Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How are you with the others? In other words, to answer this question, I have to ask you to ask yourself some questions. And the first two I'll give you today, and here's the first of the first two today, is that am I displaying thoughtful compassion towards others? Am I displaying thoughtful compassion 
towards others. You see, the word merciful means this, compassionate, involving thought and action. Think about this. It's not just a compassionate act, but I am thinking through how I should act towards another person. I'm putting thought into it. I'm putting some energy into it. You follow me? Versus just simply say, oh, I, I, was, I was good to that person today. Well, you know, I went down to Camden and I fed a few people, so I showed compassion. You know, I was nice to my, my mom today, so, you know, I showed compassion. You know, one and done. That's kind of how we operate. One and done and versus saying, no, compassion is a lifestyle. Compassion takes thought and action. But underscore this, it says, blessed are the, merc- uh, blessed are the merciful, so they should receive what? Chances are, this is how it looks for a Christian's life for the most part. The words receive mercy means this, to extend help for the consequences of sin. So when you sin against God, do you sense God's mercy upon your life? Chances are most Christians don't because this is what happens, which causes this up and down cycle of Christians. I do something wrong, say something wrong, think something wrong. Then I walk around in this muddy Christian life of misery, not feeling or embracing or sensing the mercy of God upon my life. Why? My humble opinion is verse number seven. Blessed are the merciful, for you will receive what? So therefore, if I'm not receiving mercy, I'm not being what? Why is that? Why, is we, why do you need to connect that? Here's, the dilemma is this, is that it's because if I don't believe he will be merciful unto me, Chances are it's because I have not thought of being merciful to someone else. Because this is what we do. We do things like this. We say, well, you know, you don't understand what they did to me. So we kind of categorize. Well, you know, you know, they keep doing that to me. Well, how many times do we keep doing it to Jesus? And we start ranking stuff, right? And, you know, well, well, that's a real bad thing he did to me. So what we do is then impose that on, on a merciful, all merciful God, right? We impose it on him and we think, oh, well, you know, okay, categorically speaking, I don't think he can show me mercy today. Because the way my thoughts are, the way what I did, listen, even my past. You don't really think he was involved in your past? Well, you don't know how bad I was. You don't know, you know, I was just, just a really bad dude. And, you know, I, I, you just, I, you don't understand how. And then we carry that over into our relationship with Christ. Then we have these ebbs and flows. Because you know what the enemy will do? Try to remind you of your past. And then you'll, go, you'll be up and down. Well you, well, you know, right? And then a marriage can't function, right, because of what? All I'm doing is living in the past pain of my marriage rather than moving forward. Why? It's because I haven't showed him or her mercy. And that's why it says, blessed are the merciful. You will receive mercy. You will receive, it says, the, the, extend, the, the extension of help from God for the consequences of your sin. So if if, I, if we were smart, we would simply say, you know what, God, if I want you to show me mercy quickly, I need to be a person that does what? Show mercy to others quickly. 
the word mercy, receive mercy also means this, to have compassion on someone in unhappy circumstances. You ever have unhappy circumstances? Be merciful to others in unhappy circumstances. Let's go deeper. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 describes how Jesus, in his humanity, learned mercy. So understand, when we read the, this part of the scriptures, we know theologically proper that Jesus is 100% God, 100% what? Man. In his humanity, here, here's the deepness in this, is that in his humanity, there were things that he was learning and being taught in his humanity that we learn from and then emulate and duplicate in what? Our humanity. And that's important to understand. And this is, read with me here. Again, Hebrews 2, verse 17 and 18, it says, Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It's like this. If you've never experienced divorce in your family, you know what you'd be as a Christian? An insensitive person. Because this is how it goes. Well, I can't believe it. How could they get divorced? Well, you know they're supposed to be Christians, and why are they acting that way? And you know, I can't believe, I can't believe, how dare they sin against God? Absolutely. Malachi chapter 2 says God hates divorce. Absolutely. But then Matthew also says that God says he's given you a certificate of divorce. Moses gave you a certificate of divorce. Why? Because of the hardness of your heart. Ain't God's fault. It's your fault. Doesn't make God any less of God. Doesn't make God any less of being holy. But it's because you made the choice to sin against God. You follow me? But what begins to happen is when you begin to feel that pain, right? You begin to go through that grief process of divorce. You know what it does to your heart? It should do is what caused you to be a little bit more what? Merciful. It's kind of like this. Let me even flesh it out further. Most of the time when people who are very wealthy have wealth, and especially if they inherited wealth, they have a tendency to look down on people who are impoverished. And say, well, all they need to do is they need to just work harder and they need to do, and, and, and very judgmental, very condescending. Until, like I've had some friends, when they lose it all. Then they realize, oh, now I'm in the welfare line. Now I'm going to food pantries, right? Now I need to figure out how I'm going to provide for my family. And something begins to happen on the inside of that person, two things. Either they grow continuously callous, or then they, be develop, they develop a compassion towards the people that they at one time looked down on them. Same thing as this. Oh, I can't believe it. How can they just be strung out on drugs? I can't believe it. They're, you know, they're strung out until you have someone in your family struggle with drugs, and then somehow you find mercy somewhere. Do you follow what I'm saying? You know, someone can't really understand loss of a loved one until they lose a loss of a close loved one. 
So you see all the examples I gave you, and that's the challenge that we face is that with Jesus, he gave us the perfect example of being able to say, you know what, I've gone through this, and guess what I'm now able to do? Give you mercy and distribute mercy in your life like you've never experienced mercy before because I know how it feels. And that's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 goes on to describe the humanity of Jesus emphasized with us emphasized with us. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we were, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. You hear that? Because he was tempted, because he experienced everything we did, listen, not given a license of sin, saying without sin, we now have what? Confidence to be able to do what? We may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. That we have Jesus in his, his humanity understands temptations so that when we feel tempted, when we go through issues, we now can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you get it, you get it. Help me. Help me. Matter of fact, you're at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. Jesus, can you pray for me? Because you understand what I'm going through. I'm not, I'm not asking for a license of sin, to sin. But you understand my plight. You understand my pain. You understand how much I need your mercy. Think about that, Christian. How many times do we, we hear prayers like that? Very little. Asking for the mercy of God. But then Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5, suggests that we should have the same attitude as Christ. This says... Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourself. But here, look at verse 4. It says, but do, do not merely look out for your own interests, personal interests. So it's really saying to you and I, no, prioritize people in your life, but it's okay. You can still take care of yourself, but not, don't spend all your time and resources only on you. But think of others more important than yourself. He says, but also for the interests of others, verse 5, have this attitude in yourself, which is also where? In Christ Jesus. Then lastly, we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, it reminds us to share the same comfort that we've been receiving. Has anyone been comforted by the Lord? So, so under, hold on to that, right? And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of what? All comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. Why? So that we will be able to comfort those who are wet in any affliction. So he comforts us in all we comfort in any. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours, ours in abundance, so also our comfort is where? In abundance. Through whom? Christ. You see, this thoughtful compassion that we need before God and for others, it ultimately comes this way. Christ models it. We learn it. We live it. Christ modeled it. We learn it. We live it. So how am I with others? Answering two questions. Answering two questions a day. Am I displaying 
thoughtful compassion. Number two today, verse eight, am I living for others? In other words, am I living a pure life for others? Verse eight says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. How many of you today would like to see God in your life? So what's the qualification? Pure in heart. You see, the word see God means this, to see with the mind, right? How many of you go through mental gym, gymnastics and it's okay, God, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? God, are you there? Okay. Well, I can't really see you there, God, right? I mean, anybody? So to see him with the mind, to perceive, to know. In other words, that you know that you know that you know that you know that God is there. And then lastly, the definition is, it, is this, to see God, to become acquainted with by experience. You know, so many followers of Jesus Christ have not experienced God. You've experienced them maybe to a point of salvation. After you come to know Christ, it's like, hey, where's God? Where is he? You know, I need to see him in tangible ways. I need to see him in my finances. I need to see him in my marriage. I need to see him, you know, through my education process. I'm, God, I'm going to school. I, I just need to see you show up in some way. I need to see you in just pure favor of God. I just need to see you, God, give me peace. I just need to have peace in my home. I need to see my home peaceful. Why don't I see purity in heart? You see, the worst purity in heart means this, clean from the pollution and the guilt of sin. You see, most Christians, unfortunately, cannot answer the question, am I legitimately pure and clean from sin? Am I pure from the guilt of sin? Can I lay my head down on a pillow at night and know that I'm clean? Being free from guilt means that there's no pollution in my life. It's like this. You may have a fil water, filtration, water filtration system in your house, right? Water's tasting good. Water's pure as pure can be, right? But take the filtration system out. You know what happens? The water will remain pure for a period of time until it runs out. That's the life of most Christians. I'm pure when I come to know Jesus, right? God does this this transformational work in my life I go through seasons in my life and then I unplug myself from the filtration system and it's just a matter of time until the pure water wears out in other words the, Jesus Christ is the filtration system if I continue to try to live life apart from Christ, which we try to do, or listen, or we say it this way, we selectively live in Christ depending on what is easy for me, what's convenient for me, 
then I unplug from the filtration system when as needed. But the dilemma that we face is this, is that we want to see God. So it's like, okay, God, my marriage is falling apart. I need to see you now. I need to see you now. God, I need to see you now. I need to see you now. God, can you rescue? Can you just speak to her? Can you speak to him? God, you know, I need to see you in the life of my children. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, my finances, it's, it's collapsing, it's collapsing. God, I just need you to show yourself big. And we get, listen, we solicit the troops. We're like, hey, can you fast and pray? Can you intercede? We're going to have this prayer gathering. We're going to do all these spiritual things, right, to somehow beckon the presence of God. But we've chosen to live a life polluted all up up until that point. We say, rescue me, God. Show up, God. But simultaneously, I have an impure heart. I'm not willing to deal with the difficult things in my life, the tough things in my life, make the tough decisions. I'm not willing to stay plugged into the filtration system, Jesus, up until the point that I really need to see him. And then what normally happens is he doesn't manifest himself or my mind starts playing tricks on me or what begins to happen is I don't really know with confidence that he's there, even though I can't see him, even though I can't feel him, right? And we began to have this this these ebbs and flows in our lives rather than being able to say, no, no, no. Even though what I see, even though what I feel, I know my heart is pure and it's just a matter of time for God to do what? Show up. Just a matter of time because I know his character and listen, I know the content of my heart. My heart's pure before you, God. So think about that. So therefore, that means that living life for others should be sincere and it also be this confidence in your conscience. There's this sincerity of knowing that, you know what? God, I know that I know that I know that I know because my heart is pure before you. It's sincere because I know I'm not doing all of these last minute adjustments in my life because I know my life communicates a sweet smell and aroma to you. So that's why if you look at this, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 17, it commands that we live not like others, but with this sincerity as this sweet smell and aroma. And how many of you know today that if a perfume or a cologne stinks, it what? Sincerely what? Stinks. Right, in other words, you can mask how a cologne or a fragrance smell because the fragrance gives it away if it's a good or bad fragrance, right? Would you agree with that? So it's kind of like this when I think we, if it was our first or second child was born, I had a, a cologne that was my personal favorite. But some of you understand this, ladies, right? You're, 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 you start having hormonal changes in your nose and your scent and stuff that used to smell good, don't smell good anymore. So my beautiful wife just inadvertently threw away my cologne (laughs) because it sincerely stunk to her. You follow me? 
it sincerely was a bad fragrance to her. And I show up looking for what was good to me wasn't good for her. You follow me? So there's this sincerity that comes from a life of a believer that should eventually just ooze out our pores, right? This sincerity of Christ that when they see you, smell you coming in a room, right? They know you legit. And that's why you read this text here. It says, but thanks be to God who's always leads us in triumph in Christ through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing, to the one an aroma from death to death, to another an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like the many peddling the word, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. There should be this, this sincere aroma of Christ that just exudes our presence. We walk in a room, we show up to work, we're in our home with our children who are questioning God and all that stuff, that they should see a sincerity of Jesus in us that's real, that's believable. That's for them. You see, when I put cologne on, I don't put, put cologne on to smell good for me. You know who I put cologne on? Every time, every time I pick out a, a different fragrance, you know what I'm thinking of? My wife. I want to smell good for her. No one else but for her. I want no one else's compliment but her. Listen, I don't want to lure anyone else closer to me but who? Her. You see, so, so understand that's what the fragrance of Christ should be like for all of us. That we are fragrant aromas, not for ourselves, but for those around us. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says this. It reminds us that our conscience should give testimony of our conduct. For our proud confidence is this, that the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. It's just who we are sincerely. Living for others also requires us to live through pain. Anybody going through pain today? Anybody have gone through pain? Right? Is it just for you? No. Your pain, your pain is not just for you. It's not for you. And that's why you look at the text in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, it reveals how we should live through the pain. It says, but we have this treasure in earthly containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but what? Not crushed. You're going to be afflicted, but what? You're not crushed. Listen, it's, it's like this. You're going to enter the ring, and you're going to get punched left and right. You're going to get some uppercuts, but you know what? Who's going to win? Who's going to win? You. We still win. No matter how bloody your nose gets, no matter how swollen your eyes get, no matter how much pain, listen, no matter how many times you get knocked down, you know who wins? You. You win. And that's why it says, you could be crushed, but not, but not crushed. You could be perplexed, but not what? 
despairing. You could be persecuted, but what? You can be struck down, but not what? Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. Listen to what it says, verse 12. This is the climax of it. It says, so death works in us, but life what? You go through pain, not for you, but for others. Living for others requires us to give up some freedoms. This is a tough one for the church. You know why? It's because so many times we can say, hey, God's grace is sufficient. And we can push the envelope, push the envelope, push the envelope. But what about the others? If I said to you today, right now, this is a litmus test for your heart before we read this verse. If I said to you today, hey, if you continue to eat meat, your favorite type of meat, uh, your brother or sister may struggle in their walk with Christ. Would you stop eating meat? <laughs> Some of you meat lovers be like, nah, Pastor, you, you know, you, you trip it. <laughs> like, nah, I ain't giving up my meat. You, you crazy? <laughs> I give up the vegetables, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, think about that. I mean, even today in our context, that will be a dilemma. It's like, no, they don't have to come over our house for dinner. You know, they stay home and eat their vegetables. <laughs> but that's how practical it is. So, so I say that because instantaneously, many times, if someone makes a statement, we can dogmatically say, nah, I ain't doing that. Or we start justifying why we could. Well, wait a minute, you know, meat's not going to send me to hell. So why are you telling me? Well, how can me eating meat affect my brother? Well, there was a time historically in the church that it did because meat, there was meat that was sacrificed to idols. So it was causing this conflict in the church. And so there was a command to say, hey, you probably shouldn't eat meat if it's messing with your brother's walk with Christ. So let's transpose that today in, in a personal application. In other words, it may not be meat, but what is it? First Corinthians 8, verses 9 through 13 says this, but take care that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge dining in an idol's temple with his conscience, if he is weak, not be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. For through your knowledge, the one who is weak is ruined, the brother or sister for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brother and sister and wounding their conscience when it is weak, 
you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to sin. So think about that for a minute. If you chose to continue to do something that you personally know that this is going to affect someone, will you continue to do it? But here's the big dilemma. As Christians, we get real creative. And this is how creative we get. Well, you know, it's, it's, I'm only doing it in my house. Oh, you know, it's only between me and my husband. Oh, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's, it's just something we do behind closed doors. Nobody really sees it. Can I ask you a question? Uh, talking to parents specifically. Have you ever seen your children struggle with something that you struggle with and you didn't even tell them that you struggle with it? It's like, hey, man, that was before I came to know Jesus. And they struggling? Matter of fact, they weren't even born. That, when I saw that happen in my life, it was like, this is deep. Because you know what it says? It's not of this world. It's not of this world. That what I have done Years before my children were even born, I'm seeing my children struggle with the same issue. So it's kind of like this as parents. Well, why are you lying to me? You shouldn't lie to me. You should tell me the truth. Well, you're a liar too when you were a teenager. Well, I can't believe it. You know, they have a problem with, they have sticky fingers. <laughs> Come on now. You have sticky fingers, chances are too, when you were a kid. But you have now selective amnesia. It's a spirit. Well, you know, I can't believe you. They're all promiscuous, you know. Why, why is she like boys like that? Well, because you did too. You're just saved now. You got self-control now. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen it in families like, dang, why does our whole family just struggle with alcoholism? Why does the whole family just seems to struggle financially? It's just like nobody can get over the hump. Everybody's in poverty, right? It's spiritual. It's not of this world. Well, well you know, divorce seems to happen in our family. It's just running rapid. You know, nobody can stay married to nobody. It's spiritual. It's way beyond learned behavior. It's an enemy. It's a spirit that wants to take you out and wants to take your children and your children's 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 children out. So, so this is what we do. We'll justify behavior and say, oh, okay, God, well, I can just do it behind closed doors. No, you can't. You can't. Why? It's because let Satan enter one door, he takes the entire house. 
And this is how we, this is how we navigate through this. Well, you know, God, you don't understand. You know, well, God, I just need your help in this. It seems like there's just a stronghold in my life. God, can you deliver me? God, can you help me? I just got this problem with, with just gossip. I got this problem just with, with just, you know, I can't control my tongue. I have this problem with anger, and I just can't get over it. I don't know why. I just lack self-control. Well, God, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And God is simply saying to some of us today, listen, do you realize it's all connected? It's all connected. You don't live this life in Christ in silos. In other words, God, help me in this area, and, you know, that, that I just have this issue with, but then I could just have freedom over here. He will come through one door and take the whole house. Are you following me? So the challenge that we face is to be able to be honest with God and say, you know what, God, everything I do, think about this, in word and in deed, must be done to the glory of God. So those things I think, those things I say, those things I do, if they're seen by man, are not, because they're what? Seen by God. So there has to be this consciousness to understand that, you know what, even though I can even justify, they say, well, you know, I'm not doing it in front of my brother who's weak, but you are. You are. Because remember we talked about the pollution? All you're doing is continue to pollute, 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 pollute in your life, and then you want God to be seen. It's kind of like this. You know what teenager, teenage boys do first when they start liking girls? They go to gym class. They go to football practice. They're all stinky, smelly. And then you know what they do? Spray cologne over it. <laughs> and that's kind of like what we try to do. we like, as Christians, we're like, okay, I'm going to be this sweet-smelling aroma, right? But we have all this underlining funk. And we try to mask it with our faith. But we don't realize how much it's affecting others. So therefore, a Christian must have come to a place that they realize others may, but I may not. There's a certain things that you can do, but I can't. So can I let you into my heart real quick before we end? So my heart is, and Lisa would tell you, there, there has always been tension in our marriage because um, of dancing. I don't dance. It's well, 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 your pastor don't dance, so that doesn't mean I don't have to dance. Yeah. I don't dance because of everything I just said to you. It's a gateway for me. So, if you didn't know, for the record, listen, I grew up in Compton, and I just, in the last of eight kids, and I grew up with a big chip on my shoulder. And I had a short fuse before Jesus short fuse before Jesus, a short fuse before Jesus. <laughs> that if you did something to me or someone I love, I will be on you like white on rice. And you wouldn't even know how quick I got on you. Because the way I was taught in the neighborhood was that I'm going to get you before you get me. And I just was, I'll just be on you. And that was just how hurt I was really on the inside. Lord changed my life. So, 
<laughs> so the conversation Lisa and I have is this. I said, okay, we, 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 we can go dancing. I said, but I'm going to tell you, if some fool walks up on you and try to get a dance from you and try to woo you, I said, you're going to see the pastor with, with, a, with a, one of these, what do you call that? You know, uh, 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 I, I'll be mugshot. There you go, mugshot sign. Because every bit of Jesus that was holding that down, part of that Cedric down, will be cut loose. Because, because my wife is beautiful, she's the love of my life, and you ain't touching her. Just for a record. You follow me? And if she's there, she may be doing this or whatever, right? And doesn't mean that she won't dance with you. You follow what I'm saying, guys? <laughs> And listen, some of you know, I'll go to your wedding, I'll, I'll, I'll bless you and marry you, I'll sit at your reception, and I will look, I may bow my head every now and then, I will look at everybody else enjoy themselves, but I won't get out there. I may get out there on my, my daughter's dance, because, you know, it's just daddy stuff. I'm doing what, doing what a daddy should do. But you know what? Nah, I mean, last night we had a wedding. God came and tell you, you want to dance? I said, nope. <laughs> Is y'all going to dance? I said, nope. Then another person tried to come up and, oh, come on, you tried to guilt me. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, nope. Then I whispered to Lisa, I think it's time to go now. Now you're trying to pressure me. Because last time I checked, you see even at weddings, Christian weddings, people start acting a certain kind of way, and it's not like God. So, so to self-restraint your pastor, you follow me, to protect our marriage, to make sure my mind is clear and my soul is pure, there's certain things that others can, but I cannot. Because it was too much of my dark past that had too much of the grip on my heart that I can't do it anymore. There's certain music. I only listen to Christian music. Why? It's because, guess what? You know what happens to me? Can I be real with you as well? You know what happens? And I'm sure it happens to everybody. You start listening to that 70s music that we grew up on, right? You start teleporting your mind to places where it was. And last time I checked, there are some places before Christ my mind doesn't need to go anymore. So I'm not going to listen to something that takes me back to who I was. And there's too much sin in me that needs Jesus to wash me clean. You follow me? And that, that's, I'm just sharing that with you for me to hope, give you some liberty to say, dang, well, maybe I should take some inventory on some areas of my life that I think I have liberty and freedom to do that ultimately is tainting other areas of life. Remember, I, have a, I had a, a short fuse, which simply says I had an issue with anger probably in my heart. So why am I going to reignite something that God delivered me from because I want liberty, you follow me, to do something else that the enemy will creep in and ignite something that God has delivered me from. And that happens over and over and over again in the narrative of, of, of believers' lives. Over and over again. Others may. But I may not. Not because I want to be extra holy but because of you, but because of my marriage, but because the reputation of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't look good <laughs> if the pastor was at somebody's reception 
laying some hands and, and not in holy hands. <laughs> it, w- it would be nice. You follow me? So, so you have to just know that about you. You follow me? You got to know you, you, and what you need to safeguard yourself from, which may mean there's a back door you need to close. Someone did a calculation, I'll end with this, how 70 years is spent. <clears throat> and they calculated this in someone's typical lifespan. He says, for sleep, you use up 23 years, which is 32.9% of 70 years. Work, 16 years, 22.8% of a 70-year lifespan. TV, eight years, 11.4%. Eating, (laughs) six years, 8.6%. Travel, six years, 8.6%. Leisure, 4.5 years, 6.5% of your life. Illness, four years, 5.7% of a 70-year lifespan. Dressing, this may be a little more for others, two years, uh, 2.8% of your life. Religion. Religion. Point five years, zero point seven percent of a seventy percent life, seventy year life. I define religion this way, if you would, today. It equals how much of your life has spent for Christ plus how much of your life has been spent for others? Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you do what? Take care of the orphans, take care of the widows. It's about others. You follow me? It's about others. The question I have for you today, church, is this. How much of your life are you spending for Christ? And how much of your life are you spending on others. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful because you, Jesus, paid it all for us and you own all of our lives. But today, you may not be the owner of someone's life today because if you're listening today, if you're here physically or you're watching online, Maybe you're saying, hey, pastor, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I don't know how to get there. Ultimately, it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've never really surrendered your life to Christ, chances are everything I explained to you will be impossible to accomplish. But today, if you want to start living for others, you want to correct relationships you want to begin to please God through the relationships that you have. It starts with Jesus. Today, if you've never prayed to ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, this is a great opportunity to help you. And remember, it's really not the prayer, but it's really the finished work of Jesus. It's really what he has done. But the prayer acknowledges what he does. And a simple prayer I'd like to lead you in is this. If you can just repeat it after me if you need Jesus today. Just say, Lord Jesus, I understand today that I'm a sinner. 
that I've been living my life apart from you, but I now realize that you, Jesus, came to die for me. You were buried for me, and you rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you full control. Come into my heart, my life, to live forever as my Lord and my risen Savior from this day forward. But then there may be others who said, hey, pastor, I prayed that prayer before, but uh, everything you said or some of what you said makes sense to me, and I've missed the mark. Can you just ask the Lord to help you specifically from what you've learned today? Lord, I pray that you just help your people live out every part of what they've learned today for your honor and glory and for the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org start. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.